Live from Barth's Burgers, this is Derailed Trains of Thought. Well, hello, Nick. Hi. What do you What do you think of the food they serve uh, here? I'm not really hungry anymore. <laughs> this burger, it's got some. What do you think is in it? I I thought I saw a, a couple of bolts, um, some chicken feet. Uh, okay. <laughs> and the the, the 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 kids next to us, I think they just they they just vomited. I think they yeah they 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 sound like they they lost their lunch. Yeah. Um. Yeah. What made us come here, Nick? The podcast. Oh yeah. Okay. <laughs> The, the, I, our our tax taskmaster. At some point, I think we'll have to encounter the being that is the podcast and have a talk. <laughs> I thought it was just this kind of anonymous force. Well, or, it probably is, but I'm sure we can have some sort of avatar and be it up in our in our finale. <laughs> it it turns dark on us, and, <laughs> and so we have to fight the the podcast final form. It's good. It, it sounds very anime. It it does. You know, if you like that sort of thing. Yeah. So, <laughs> but, so since since I can't really eat, maybe we should do something else. Maybe we can talk about something oh i don't know <laughs> well that's that's that, a good look for you tim that was unpleasant um do you have anything i could wash off with uh i might have some water <laughs> we're gonna have to watch what we say around here apparently okay i can't eat and i'm soaking wet uh, well okay. you're in better state than i am yeah i really shouldn't be able to do that on a podcast and body. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, we, should, we should be this crazy at the beginning. Okay, let's let's get back down to business, Tim. Okay, so let's go to story school. All right, well, today we are we're we talking about taste, and unfortunately, unlike these burgers. No one likes the taste. <laughs> yeah, uh, we, we could have picked a better restaurant for this. Maybe we should have gone to Paris. You know? Oh yeah, or or that ga- the, or that uh, restaurant at the end of the universe. Well, I'll take I you. Mean, word. If you want to <laughs> go way out there, if you go way out there, yeah. But I could go to Paris, had some ratatouille. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But anyway, taste, and we're not necessarily talking about food or anything like that. But um, taste is something that I think tends to get overlooked in how we react to stories and about kind of our favorites. Uh, we talked back and when we did the Children of the Wells Roundtable, we asked yeah. kind of talk people about some of your favorite storytelling tropes and things like that. And it occurred to me afterwards that we kind of forget how often there are things like that that kind of color our perception of stories and what kinds of movies and books that we like, maybe even more than we realize. Like we may be like, sure, yeah, I like action movies, yeah. but maybe there's a certain type or certain something in an action in one action movie that appeals to you that may not in another one or for another person yeah exactly or just you know even if it's in a horribly cheese movie you'll this one you'll love it more than everyone else because you have this one thing that you know it's just has that hint of garlic or whatever but i mean (laughs) (laughs) well and and the tricky thing about this is you know people say all taste is subjective so therefore you can't really criticize it but and this comes to me i because I knew we were going to be talking this, I started rereading again for the second time. I didn't get very far in it, but it was a book that I was supposed to read for a college class called Good Taste, Bad Taste, Christian Taste. 
And basically the premise, again, like I said, I haven't actually gotten very yeah. far into it, but the premise the author argues is that arguably there are different types of taste, not just personal, whether, you know, I like this or you yeah. like this, but there is some sort of distinction of what makes a thing good or what makes a thing bad. Th- there are certain things that should taste bad. Yes. And there's are certain things that should taste good. Mm-hmm. And and you might react, di- you know, different levels of goodness or different levels of re- repulsion. Right. And I think he, he pointed out, too, that, like, there's two sides of this. There is the the side of all art is subjective. You can't judge my taste by anything. You know, everything has sort of a, a valid thing to yeah. it. Then on the other on the other side of this is kind of more the elitist perspective and that know that that popular art is not really art. Um, only if, things that are inside this very narrow avant-garde sort of yeah, thing. The only, only that sort of thing yeah. is, is worthy of being called Only art classical and, music is worth listening to, none of that jazz stuff. Yeah, exactly. So that's kind of the whole spectrum. And this author is particularly interested in going into uh, kind of the church aspect of yeah. it because there's a whole gamut of this whole same conversation that happens in churches, you know, worship music, yeah. the even the liturgy, how formal, informal should a service be, all that kind of stuff. So in that sense, he pointed out that taste is not, taste can get more complicated. There's different levels of complexity in a sense. And that because when you bring in religion into it, you are inherently bringing in something that is outside of just pretty music, yeah. you know, whether I like this. I mean, uh, I'm, I'm going to try to keep from quoting the whole, the whole book. But, <laughs> but what I liked about, about what, what he was pointing out is that you have to, on one hand, be willing to kind of see what another person values in art yeah. because that is that is important. Yeah. Like, and, and this bugs me to death. Like on the internet, you see this all the time, where someone will will talk about a certain thing as if this is the only way to see this yeah. react to this movie. Like, how dare you dislike this movie, or how dare you like this movie? You know? Yeah, <laughs> only fools do that. You know, I'm like, okay, thank you. Yeah, real <laughs> real helpful discussion there. So in order to combat that, I think it's really useful to try to put yourself in the other person's shoes and see, okay, so what's in this other thing that I don't care for? What do the what does another yeah. person see in it? This might be slightly off the track now, but I guess it's hard to I guess it's probably hard to say that there are certain things that should be good and certain things should be bad unless you have some sort of theistic worldview. Is that you think you would take that? Like it's it, possible. Like the the thing is art is subjective. If you don't believe in absolutes, I guess technically art is subjective. All art, yeah. Well, and I think that was... uh, And so we're coming... I'm just saying, I think this discussion doesn't work for people who somehow believe that, you know, there is no meaning. That's a possibility. And I mean, I'd love to hear non-Christians rebuttal I mean, I don't know. And I don't have one. I mean, I do think that is an aspect of it. If you go real far into the cynical side of this sort of all art is subjective thing, then you get into... Well, there's not even any beauty in art. You know, yeah. artists have always kind of tried for this perfect ideal, but they've never attained it. Well, it's like um, it's always imperfect. Okay, to bring in a music example on Overclock Remix, there's the Children of the Monkey Machine. Oh yeah, um, that, which that, is that's, just, they're a group. On they're a group that, and all their music is very deconstruction. It's very like it's kind of painful to listen to. <laughs> but it was interesting because when I uh, looked at their file or whatever, they said you know they kind of purposely want to take the beauty out of it. But the thing is, 
you're using you're purposely breaking certain rules and make it sound bad. You're still saying this is a way that things work together and this is a way that things don't work together. And I just always thought that was interesting. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree. And that's why I think you can't say all art is completely subjective because if it's all subjective, one, then there's no point to it. Yeah. You know, <laughs> like, what's the point of making music that's not musical? Yeah, at the, at the very least, you're you're either working, you're, you're at the very least reacting against the cultural norms what is good taste. Yes. Or bad taste. Right. And then, uh, so, okay, so on the flip side, at one point, do you say, can you say that, you know, this is good art, this is bad art? Yeah. And what the author of this book that has said in like his prologue in the first chapter that I've read that I'm trying yeah. to trying to corral for this podcast discussion <laughs> uh, is that there's this kind of middle ground, this sort of paradox in in a sense of trying to understand where you're coming from with with this art, while also, um, you know, the more you understand, say, a certain style of music or a certain style of painting, then that sort of gives you a meaning to it. Yeah. I think the webcomic XKCD has said that, you know, if you show 100 pictures of a Dick Cheney eating a hot dog to a group of people locked in a room for a year, they're each going to have their own, develop their own preferences for which picture is the best. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because because the, the, mind, the mind searches for meaning. It want, That's why art exists in many ways, to make meaning or some sort of thing out of the crazy world we've got. Mm-hmm. Or to somehow tell you that there is no meaning by purposely putting things in a certain way to tell you there's no meaning. <laughs> or emphasizing certain tastes and, yeah. and stuff like that. Okay, so what should we tackle some common taste dichotomies? Sure, I think so. Okay, so let's... Here's an example from a debate I got into a few weeks a month a few weeks ago on fans for Christ. Yeah, we were talking about. I kind of made the knowing it was going to be sort of an unpopular uh, sentiment. Yeah. I, I claim that a certain fight on Agents of Shield is cooler than a very famous, well, famous for people who've seen Daredevil, the yeah. Netflix show, a hallway fight. And I still kind of hold true to that. I think the Daredevil fight is kind of overrated. Yeah. Um, but what I realized in that conversation was that people, even people who like action movies, tend to have sort of different tastes in how they like their fight scenes. Yeah. You know, my brother-in-law, Eric, he's a martial artist, black belt, also likes history a lot. So he really gets into the realism of, of a f- the Ong Bok sort of stuff. Yeah. No, I mean, yeah. that's not quite realistic, but it's... <laughs> But the guy's doing it all. But he's doing it. And then there's certain historical dramas that really push, you know. Right. Like battle strategies. Yeah. Like, would they actually do that sort of thing? And for me, that's not all that important. Yeah. Like, for me, it's like, it's, I'd rather have the fight look cool. I mean, if if it's historically accurate, great. As long as it, it makes an interesting story. And for me, the emotional logic is usually more important in a story yeah. than the historical logic. Yeah. And I realized that's a taste of mine. Yeah, the, the the you you want this sort of like you know you you want fights that are larger than life as opposed to being it's like the difference between I, I just watched a little bit of last night the world is not enough by um okay the, the Pierce Brosnan yeah and um, James Bond James Bond uh-huh. it's like his version of James Bond versus Daniel Craig's version of James Bond I mean yeah. one's kind of over the top in comic book the other one's like. I get hurt a lot. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and like our fights are like fist fights that are very brutal. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting. Daniel Craig is kind of the the twenty first century James Bond in in a way. Like he he strips out a lot of like the comic booky stuff yeah. and like he's a James Bond that tries to be very like serious. And yeah. I think people liked like say in Skyfall when he started. You know, he had a kind of a more of a wink in his eye sort of stuff there, but. 
Pierce Bronson is probably my first Bond, and like Ooh, yeah. I, I like at twelve, that was kind of what I pictured. I think even before I saw I saw Bond, that was kind of the comic booky type yeah. Bond that I had always pictured. Him yeah, to exactly. Be. That's the one my first Bond. And, you yeah, know. like you know, you see like cartoon versions of him before, so that's kind of you know, it doesn't have all the sex, but, but it, it has all the the charm. And it stuff. does seem like well, I don't know if that's true. I was gonna say we have kind of this weird thing in culture right now where we're moving. A lot of people love the realism, the grittiness. Mm-hmm. Well, simultaneously. Comic book movies are giant. There is a dichotomy, though, in the comic book movies. Like, I've seen a lot of people who point out that Marvel Cinematic Universe has no problems with crazy and outlandish stuff. Like, you know, Guardians of the Galaxy, yeah. you got a talking tree and a talking raccoon yeah. uh, but with a machine gun. And then the Warner Brothers DC movies tend to try to be very serious yeah. and, and very... And people love the Batmans for that reason. Yeah. At the very, I mean, the Supermans has its own yeah. issues, but... I do wonder if we're kind of on the threshold of people kind of getting tired of that and and Warner Brothers not quite realizing yet, but that sort of remains to be seen. I mean, Warner Brothers, DC is, has done good things with their uh, TV shows. Yeah. And, and S.H.I.E.L.D. and Daredevil are on the opposite extreme. I mean, S.H.I.E.L.D.'s that's, that's more true. comic booky, mm-hmm. and Daredevil, from what I understand, I have not seen any yet, is, is very gritty, realistic. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I like both shows, to be honest. Like, Daredevil and, and Ages of S.H.I.E.L.D., I, I think are both excellent shows agents of shield has this unfortunate thing of people having different expectations for what is at heart supposed to be a spy show yeah and people for some reason wanted to get the entire marvel universe in this one show yeah (laughs) which i don't quite get but anyway um, so so for say for those people who like realistic stuff how would we explain to them to sit in our shoes and enjoy you know pacific rim (laughs) <laughs> well, interesting. You mentioned Pacific Rim, though, because that's actually not one of my my favorite. I'm not actually seen Pacific Rim. I just know well, it's giant robots badly. Yeah, well, see, and that's that's a hang up in my taste. Like giant robots don't do much for me, and and giant monsters. That's just a weird personal yeah. taste the way I, I grew up, and I don't really have an explanation see, for that. But Nathan's not here. They could explain to you why that's worth watching. Yeah, I, I imagine so. I mean, otherwise, I like giant robots when they have a uh, very tortured, psychologically damaged <laughs> kids inside of them. Oh, Ava. <laughs> uh, um. But as far as the just the more fantastical thing, I think that goes back to the idea that we talked about before, that we like stories that are more than just kind of a mirror on reality. I mean, not all stories have to be this, but the ones that show you what the world could be like yeah. rather than just, you know, what you see on the news. In the sense that in some way... <clears throat> Tomorrowland. <laughs> we might have to bring that... I don't know if we'll Well, we'll, save that. we'll yeah. save that for a later episode, okay. I think. But. It would fit really well here. But, um... <laughs> Like like agents of shield, you, you you also want to have good be triumph, not beat down all the time or barely succeed. You know, because in more or not really movies, be good, yeah. Or in some more realistic movies, they're good. They're just beat up constantly, and they're always just barely making it. And and some people, I think, I think probably the people like the realistic stuff. And I kind I'm kind of like you. I'm I'm in both camps to a certain extent. Mm-hmm. They don't have as much. Maybe it's a suspense disbelief. Maybe the stakes don't seem as real to them. You know, because the drama. They want the drama to be feel grounded, so they can really root, and that there's real stakes, and, and that would be my guess. Yeah, and that, and that it actually tells you something about how life is, as opposed to how life should be. Mm-hmm. Because I, there is a there is a goodness you can show in realistic stuff. Yeah, no, I, I think that's that's certainly true. I mean, 
the movie Advent Children. You know, that that's very cartoonish in a sense. You've got guys jumping off buildings yeah. and doing all these crazy aerobic tricks without getting hurt. And so then you're like, some viewers are like, well, then I have no idea how these p- characters are actually in any danger. Yeah. You know, I, I can't get into the momentum of, of these scenes. But then other people are like, but it looks so cool. And it's, they get into the, there's emotion and the acrobatics and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, it, it's, it's very much almost two different levels of watching the show. You're either watching the strictly emotional level or mm-hmm. more on an intellectual level. Yeah. And I mean, both in, are engaged. But, you know, there's certain shows that, like, you really don't care if it's logical as long as it's looks, you know, it's almost the. It's like a cinematic poetry. Yeah, yeah, thing. in some ways, yeah. When, like, when it's done really well. Yeah, I mean, sometimes it's just like, that makes no sense. Or yeah. <laughs> um, I don't buy that, or this is a completely absurd. Yeah. And, you know, and I think some people, the people who don't like Doctor Who mm-hmm. would be on that camp. Yeah. You know, they're like, but this doesn't... Ma- <laughs> if right. you do like Doctor Who's like, it doesn't matter, bow ties are cool, you know? <laughs> <laughs> oh, sure. So that, okay, so that's kind of, that's, what, a, that's an example of the taste thing and the two different perspectives, and, and both can have valid... Points. And I would say those are two of the main ones that kind of get fought up a lot in current culture. I think you can almost go apply this kind of emotional, logical, which do we, I don't know, we've talked about. Like, I don't know maybe, that we ever actually did a podcast. We always thought we should. Oh, we always thought we should. And we <laughs> guess we're kind of lumping it into this taste <laughs> thing. Because I wonder if you can apply that to other, like, say, in the church, you've got the, the battle between, which hopefully it's kind of dying down, but it depends on where, what church you go to. But the debate between, like, hymns versus more modern praise yeah. music. The, the claim used to be, and I think modern music has gotten better at this, but a claim used to be that modern music was very repetitive, try, relied too much on emotions. Yeah. And I think modern music has kind of, you've, you've got more songs that kind of delve more into the theology yeah. side of Which things. Which was always the, yeah, kind of lacking. You know, that's the nice thing about hymns. I mean, they're, the good ones are very deep. Yes. There's, there's a lot packed into, yeah. say, even Hark the Herald Angel Sing, which yeah, is more exactly. a carol. But there's, yeah, there's a lot into the words there. I guess maybe that's kind of a big distinction between popular art and like high art. Yeah. I mean, eh, I don't want to go too far because I don't want to say that like high art doesn't have emotion. Yeah. It well, clearly does. Well, sometimes it's more subtle or less. It's, uh, it depends. Like I've been reading um, Sound of the Fury, which I'll review at some point. I'm not quite done with it. Okay. Um, and there's a lot to say about that. And that, who's the author of that again? William Faulkner. Okay. Yeah. I had read some James Joyce earlier in the year, and those are very realistic stories. And they're not so much about playing on emotions as getting you inside, you know, just presenting the emotions. You know, it's not necessarily trying to make you feel something the same way as like a mystery where like, aha, you have that ha-ha moment. But mm-hmm. these are not necessarily trying to manipulate you, I guess, mm. in the same sense. They're almost more trying to engage you at a very, in some way, in some ways as a, I don't know if I want to say deeper, but that makes it sound like it's always better. But yeah, at a, at a more fundamental, it's very, you cannot read William Faulkner without, your full attention, at least Sound and Fury. I hear this one's very difficult even uh-huh. for him. Now I'm gonna I'm gonna show my ignorance here. Yeah. But William Faulkner is that like Victorian era? No, he's an American author. Okay, so um, more Hemingway yeah. contemporary. Um, you know what? I should know that. I think early 1900s. Early 1900s. Yeah. so close. If yeah, I think I think he's before Hemingway. Okay, by a little bit. Okay, I could be wrong there, but he's a Southern writer, so there's a lot of oh so um, post. Uh, Post-Civil War, Post-Civil War so, Southern stuff. Gothic, Gothic kind. Not, not quite as Gothic as um, Flannery O'Connor. Okay. It was very, uh, this is more realistic sort of stuff. At least, again, Sound of Fury I hear 
in some ways is very is different than some of his other stuff. I mean, it's okay. I'll have to get into it next time. Yeah, we're but, we're getting off off yeah. topic a little bit, but you well, know, like classical music is always it's very regimented, and mm-hmm. and then you move into Beethoven and the, the more romantic stuff, which is more about making you feel. You know, you've you ditched a lot of the forms. Mm-hmm. You know, the the sonata and the well, and, and the theme of variation. You go more towards the the story. More towards the feeling. Well, and that's interesting because most people would still consider most of the romantic music period. You know, we still call that classical music. Yeah. But you, even with people who who study a lot of classical music, people have different tastes. Yeah. There's going to be some people who prefer Brahms and oh, Berlioz. Yeah, some of those. Yeah, the romantic sound, and then some people are like, oh no, give me the good old Baroque. Yeah, the the like, Haydn's and the the, 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 oh, ele- yeah, the elaborate Baroque, musical. Yeah, and. Yeah, because it was broke and then classical and then romantic and then mm-hmm. modern, I think. Whatever the heck modern is. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's like Philip Glass and people like that. Right, right. More mi- very minimal. It's turned very... Well, it was minimal. I don't know if it still is. Actually, go back real quick to the author's thing yeah. about the... Because uh, thinking of Hemingway, I, I, I saw something on Jeopardy that I knew would irk you. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently, it was a question about the author of The Road, I think. Okay, oh, yeah. McCormick. Um, yeah. McCormick. I guess he said on... Ober's book club one time that he didn't like to use commas because it it left the page skittered with all these weird little marks. I can see that. I mean, <laughs> I can see someone saying that. And he's very he's very uh, sparse. He's a very sparse writer. Mm-hmm. And I mean, and talk about tastes. Yeah. I mean, you you have you know on one end kind of the Dickens or the um, I would even throw Bradbury the very heaping words on words sort of writers. Mm-hmm. And then you have the more sparse the Hemingways the McCormicks the it's very very crisp. Mm-hmm. And what do you think? I mean, okay, so if, if say there's some people, well, obviously the writers themselves prefer yeah. one style over yeah. the over the other. You know, and that's you don't want to just discount. Even though I made fun of, I, I think that's a ridiculous reason not to use yeah. commas. Yeah. Uh, but why do they prefer? Why do they prefer that very sparse? Um, there must for, be something that they're trying to get at. Well, for what I understand, I know for him it was very much a kind of iceberg effect. You you show like the ten percent, and then. Everything else is unstated, mm-hmm. and you're supposed to read between lines. And I think there's a sense of because there is a certain amount of beauty, I think, for writers to have this very, you know, no adjectives. You just you just let the w- simple words do a lot of power, um, and you have everything kind of underneath the surface, and it, it has a lot of, I guess, weight that way. Mm-hmm. Where people are like, well, Dickens is again back closer to the invention of the. Um, novel, but then you got you know people still Bradbury tend to keep words and words, and they're more like Bradbury's much more. He's writing a story because he has this deep emotional idea, hmm. and he's trying to communicate in as many poetic sounding ways of doing. It. And I think Dickens is the same way. They're they're very they're very dramatic. I mean, the Dickens and the Bradburys are the D- Doctor Who's of the right of the writing world, right. and the the others are like the the Italian cinema, you know, sort of stuff. You're right. And I think it's just it's 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 a different idea of beauty and a different idea of how you communicate meaning. And I don't want to get too far into trying to figure out these oh, creator know, but- psyches, but I mean that is useful. But at the same time, in terms of like how we can apply this yeah. to as yeah. an audience, uh, or sidetracked a bit, <laughs> <laughs> a little bit. And and again, I don't want. It's harder to presume to know. I mean, you can learn a lot about an author from their works. Um, yeah. But at the same time, I think it, it, in talking with other people, because you always. We, when we first met and we're getting to know each other yeah. at school, one of the first things we connected with was, was Tolkien and, yeah. and, and uh, 
and Star Wars meaning more than just cool action figures, yeah. but like really getting into the emotions of it. I remember having some conversations yeah. like that. It, it is interesting that you do tend to connect with people who view art in the same way. Yeah. When you find that sort of connection, you're connecting on more than just cool scenes or things. Yeah. You're, you're connecting with a deeper part of your beliefs yeah. and, and stuff like that. Because I think your beliefs, your personal bias, feed into your tastes a lot more than you realize. I, I would agree. Yeah. Like, say, again, you know, we, we went into kind of philosophical territory with yeah. why I like certain action scenes more than others. I think you could go into that same sort of territory if, you know, if you really thought about it on a, a lot of levels. So I know when we talk about this um, this uh, topic that you mentioned, um, sometimes it's hard to understand people that only really like dark stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, because for, we're, we're tend to be really optimistic. We don't want to re- revel in this sort of... yeah. And then you get to the point to, you know, is it wrong then like the dark stuff or is it just a different taste? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, because I, I, I knew people at uh, film school who like who really loved I mean, and not really like goth people. In fact, a person I'm, I'm thinking about, he was very outgoing, real charismatic type guy, but he loved horror. He loved uh, The Dark Knight, which was relatively, you know, still pretty fresh at that time. And I couldn't quite figure out this dichotomy of this really friendly guy who really loved this dark stuff and i and i'm still not i mean and he was a christian i'm not yeah. doubting that at all yeah it was fascinating to me why he had this any i don't know that i ever got him to real verbalize it real well and that's something that i love to do more experiments with just as a way to get to know people yeah um it's unfortunate that a lot of people just kind of think of oh yeah i like books and movies and you know they, and they get in this very surface level thing i'd, I'd love to like have a a deeper conversation with, but why do you like this? Why like this particular thing? Yes. Well, it's like uh, taste. What I was talking with, who was I talking about? But like Monty Python uh-huh. is a is a taste that some people have, <laughs> and some people are like, this is I, I don't get it. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, or and a lot of humor is like, I mean, there's there's this humor is a tricky thing. I remember reading. It's been a couple of years now, so they might have fixed it. But Netflix, you know, their suggestion mechanic. Mm-hmm. They said they were really good. Most times, suggesting movies from previous movies, what people would like, but they could not. Their their the algorithm could not figure out if a person would like or dislike Napoleon Dynamite. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought that was pretty interesting. It is, yeah, yeah. And I have to admit, my like my taste in comedy is very eclectic. I mean, like, and I I don't know that I could always pinpoint because a lot of modern comedy bugs me on a surface level yeah. like i i can't remember the last like modern movie that build itself as a comedy that i was that interested in because then the problem for me is just looking in the surface a lot of comedy seems very disparaging in a sense yeah. like let's laugh at these idiots type yeah. type stuff and and, and i the guess taste thing you don't really want to we want we don't want to be happy at something that's basically just saying, hey, you guys are all horrible. Yeah. And I, and I often wonder for me if comedy requires a certain degree of separation. Like, I, I love old, like, black and white comedies. Like, I love silent comedies like Charlie Chaplin or, say, the Marx Brothers to get more recent. You know, I love Muppets. I love cartoons. Even ridiculous stuff like Homestar, which yeah. sometimes I think I look at Homestar, I'm like, I should not enjoy this. But <laughs> I think because it has that level of abstraction that it lets me enjoy it. Whereas some of the like modern stuff, because it looks too close to yeah. like, it, I, I find it harder to, to see the humor sometimes. Hmm, that's interesting. I don't know if we got into that in the humor podcast. Yeah, I can't remember what we talked about exactly. But 
be something that's just ingrained. Then some of that I think is attached to taste and you know your your world, your how you look at the world and what mm-hmm. you find funny and not funny. I mean, I always loved absurd stuff. You know, the more absurd, the better. Natasha much prefers to have some sort of story she can actually uh, like care about the characters, right? Um, right. And physical physical humor, like she kills her. She loves, <laughs> you know, which is just silly. But and to go back, we'll we'll try to wrap this up yeah. because I think we yeah we're border on repeating stuff. Yeah. But I'd also like the idea of taste being having l- layers in in yeah. some ways of the because he talked about especially like in terms of a service. I guess he said at some point one of his students admitted that at times he kind of felt like he would like to play a very slow version of uh, take me out to the ball game during uh, a service. And in some churches, you know, it'd be like, if it fit somehow with the service, sure, go for yeah. it. Other churches would be scandalized by that yeah. type of thing. And there's that layer of when you bring art into a sacred place, then it becomes something more than, well, is this appropriate? Is it not appropriate? Yeah. And I think that's really fascinating in that sense, in that art and taste in particular, it's not just did they play the notes right, are they doing this aesthetically correct, but it also, in certain things, not in every type of art, but like when you bring it into like, say, a ceremony, like a wedding or, you know, what have you, there's a whole other layer to the taste, the taste, whether something is appropriate or fitting or works. I, I don't know. I thought that was interesting. Final question for me is, so you figure out what your taste is and you have certain things. Should you purposely try to expand your taste? Or, I mean, because I think sometimes when you find something you like, you nowadays, you know, with Netflix and other things, you kind of just stay in that same circle. Mm-hmm. Is that, I mean, not that it's right or wrong, but is it beneficial, you think, to purposely go watch things that you wouldn't pick out on your own? Well, it's very tricky, you know, in our day and age when in some ways entertainment is way more fragmented than it is before. Yeah. Like everyone, if there's, if you have a certain taste, there's a show somewhere out there for there's you. There's a whole channel for you. Yeah. And there's, <laughs> and there's Tumblr groups and there's Facebook people yeah. who will bond with you in that particular certain thing, which in some ways I like, because that does mean there's more of the type of stuff that I like, yeah. you know? So I, I think that's useful, but at the same time, I do think it's dangerous to isolate yourself too much in one particular taste because that means you have less in common with your fellow man, well, with your neighbors. Yeah, you can't, because like you said, we made friendship really quickly because we were in the same taste, but if you can't even converse at their, and, and not only that, but I wonder if we get blind sometimes by not watching things that are on the opposite side of our taste. You know, like we're talking about whether, you know, especially from a Christian view, is it a good taste or bad taste? You know, if you just watch one thing, maybe you need to be brought a little... It, it's sort of like the uh, it becomes a cross cultural experience when you, yeah. you you branch out into other people's tastes. Yeah, like maybe I, mean, I need to watch more comedies to see the, to understand. Maybe I need to go try some Thai food. I mean, you, you say that you know you can just eat hot dogs and pizza all the time. Oh sure, but you know there's something we've always considered beneficial to trying other to expanding outside of that. You know, mm-hmm. oh let's go to the Thai restaurant. Let's try this. You know, authentic. Swiss cuisine. I don't know. Yeah. Well, and and maybe just maybe that will be a connection. Like even sports, you know, that sports is a form of entertainment. It's not necessarily story based. But I found that when I would say follow football with my family, then you know that's something I can talk with more of them about. I can talk with people, some people, certain people at yeah. church. I'm not gonna go get you know read up on every sport, but 
I think it's a good practice. I mean, that's something I remember my youth pastor used to really kind of pound into us. If you want to get to know someone, talk to them, ask them questions about something they're interested yeah. in. Yeah, and, sh- and yeah, spend some time in it. Yeah. So I mean, so I guess that's the more the the reaching out. That's the the outreach version of art, right? And <laughs> because art, because in modern culture, art is one of the inner layers of a person. Yeah, it's an important language that we all speak now. Yeah, and not that you have to accept everything wholesale. Or, no, no, because again, that's where the good taste, bad taste, kind yeah. of filters in. You like, you may realize. Okay, he watches a lot of M-rated, R-rated right. shows. I like, the, I like this healthy. part, but... Uh. Yeah. And maybe you can try to... If, if you see someone with a bad taste that you're trying to reach out to, maybe you can kind of steer them in the right direction or f- maybe find the things that they like about that and then give them a positive alternative. Yeah. All right. So there's yeah, a lot that, there. Yeah, that was good. That was a lot of stuff. <laughs> I, I don't know. I, I, I've lost my words. All right. Well, with that, we'll move on into soundtrack. Okay, so today um, I kind of last minute came up with, okay, what am I going to do? So uh, I have a song called Taste Like Victory. Oh, you should have done Taste Like Nirvana from <laughs> Weird Al. No. <laughs> Does that taste like? Yeah. No, that smells like for Nirvana. It smells like? Oh, yeah. yeah it smells like Teen Spirit original. Oh, try. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> nice try. Um, but this is from our world, my, my favorite OC Remix album, Balance and Ruin. Been a little while since I've done Final Fantasy VI, so we got to, you know, keep that up. It's not my favorite song from the album, but it has the word taste in the title. Yeah. So there it's a very distinctive style. It is a very distinctive style. That we don't get on here very often. That's so. true. So give it a taste and see what you think. Ta-da.
we're back. All right. Hope you enjoy that. And if you didn't, blame Tim. <laughs> so anyway. I heard that. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, now we're going to do a segment that we haven't done for a little while. It's came from the interwebs. Okay, so we I think we talked about this last time, about maybe doing this Homestuck. Yeah, I just remember hearing it from some of my Twitter people that I followed, and yeah. I'm like, what is this thing? I think it was, I'm not sure it's as much of a thing. Now, it, it was a big thing, like I think it was a trending thing for a little while. But Homestuck is at mspaintadventures.com. And I have not visited this. Nick said he's done this a little bit. Yeah, but I'm, I'm yeah, I'm going basically blind so okay so looking here at this homepage, this is in case you don't remember and came from the interwebs this is where we encounter some creative thing on the internet uh, and which ask is, why does this exist <laughs> the internet is a very strange place sometimes like, like jim carrey's website yeah <laughs> <laughs> um but anyway so we're at mspaintadventures.com there's a little uh, gif i guess of this little kid in his room there's a birthday cake and a poster he has no arms on his desk he has no arms um and the text below says a young man stands in, in his bedroom it just so happens that today the 13th of april 2009 i wonder if that's when this thing started maybe i bet it was yeah is this young man's birthday though it was 13 years ago he was given life it is only today he will be given a name what will the name of this young man be and there's a place a hyperlink to click saying enter a name so we'll click that and see if it will let us Give him a name. Okay. So, All right. Uh, so rather than us enter again, it's kind of automatically entering stuff. It's uh, saying that he wants to be a zoo, zoo smell poop lord. And, and it says try again. Yeah. So we'll try again. So we click the button, say try again. And it says uh, John Egbert. Which I guess that's what he wants to be called. Okay. I was I was kind of hoping we would actually get to name him. I think that was what, when I played last time, I kept thinking it was going to be more interactive. And then it was like... Yeah, not at least okay, early so on. So now we have now we have another hyperlink that says "examine room." So we'll see what it says. Right. Your name is John. As was previously mentioned, it is your birthday. A number of cakes are scattered about your room. So this is like all setting up as a uh, some sort of adventure. Some sort of adventure. Some sort of MS Paint adventure. Yeah, you have a variety of interests. You have a passion for really terrible movies. Oh, he oh, has. That's nice. that's his taste. Okay. If you like to program computers, but you are not very good at it. <laughs> I'm not sure why not very good at it is in caps. Yeah. You, you say it very dramatically when they're in caps so people can hear it. Oh, okay. I guess so. You have a fondness for paranormal lore and are an aspiring amateur magician. You also like to play games sometimes. That, nice. I like that. That's good. <laughs> what will you do? Um, Apparently the only okay, so they showed the whole I room wanna, now. Yeah, they have the show show her room. We have some posters on the wall. Probably bad movies. Ghostbusters two, Con Air, Mac and Me. Oh, that is a bad movie. <laughs> Deep Impact. Actually, I don't really. Oh, I only remember like the first few minutes of Mac and Me, and then I think I fell asleep when I was a kid. <laughs> There's a birthday cake over there on the table. Computer. I, I'm curious if you could like click anything, but so far it doesn't seem. Can you to click be. those highlight those uh those exaggerated <laughs> words down there? Like birthday and John and terrible movies. No, it doesn't. It doesn't seem like. Okay, it apparently can. our only choice is John. Quickly retrieve arms from drawer. But you have no arms, so apparently. So there you are. Your and arms are in magical chest. Poop. Wait, poop lord. I thought we. His name was John. Hmm. Okay. Suspicious. So apparently we have to remove cake from magic chest. But the cake is on top of a 
of a dresser is. I, I don't uh, understand. And and uh, it's written like it's from interactive fiction. You would say remove cake from magic drawer. That's what you would type. But yes. we can't type anything. Okay. Well now now the this next image has like it was. I don't know if you saw it. Yeah. No, here, yeah. here comes the cursor is dragging the cake onto the bed. Okay. Nice. And the text says, out of sympathy for John's perceived lack of arms, you pick up the cake for him and put it on his bed. So wait, we're not John anymore, but. Apparently, we're controlling John in this adventure without having actually any interaction. I don't... It's like a choose-your-own-adventure with one choice every time. Yeah. Maybe maybe it'll split eventually? Maybe. I mean, this is early. I mean, they went on for a long time. A long time, yeah, apparently. All right, well, next hyperlink says, John, quickly retrieve arms from magic chest. All right, let's see. We need some arms. Uh, Oh, he's got arms. And his arms that are holding arms... Wait, what? Uh, what? He has two arms that are holding arms. arms. He didn't have arms before, but now he has arms, but he's also holding arms. Okay. So it's very confused. There's two pictures here. There's that one, and then there's another one where he's not holding arms anymore, and like looks like the arms are in his inventory. Um, it says, you retrieve your fake arms from the chest. You use these for hilarious antics. Your captcha log, them in your Silladex. You have no idea what that actually means, though. I, I, I don't. Okay. There are other items in the chests. Okay. This is like we were playing an adventure. But I, I, I feel very uh, uninvolved in the process. What? <laughs> <laughs> it does have, like, save game, auto-save, load game, delete d- game data at the bottom. Okay, I'm going to just click the save game one and see what happens. I, I open it in a new tab. I wonder if this, like, goes to, like, the archives or something. No, no, we're just saved apparently. Same game. Maybe next time you come here, I'll remember. Can you click that? The, his fake arms. No. Okay. Maybe no. when it was live, every time you could tell him what to do. Maybe yeah. Maybe it was more interactive originally. Maybe, maybe but then like why the bother? One, maybe the new one each time is interactive. Like, hey guys, which of these choices should I do? And then you pick one. I'm really tempted to just go to the Wikipedia page for this. No, yeah, let's do a little more. Okay, come on. Okay. Examine contents of chest. All right, in the chest, according to the picture, there's well, it's probably gonna. We'll say we'll read the description and see yeah. if it doesn't if it's something different in the picture. In here, you keep an array of humorous and mystical artifacts. Each one a devastating weapon in the hands of a skilled magician or a cunning prankster. You are neither of these things. Okay, so here comes here comes our list. Among the artifacts are I'm not gonna do a big voice because no. these are like all on caps, but two fake arms currently kept catalogued in your Silladex. One pair of thick handcuffs, one stunt sword, one magician's hat, one pair of beagle puss glasses. Okay. Several smoke pellets, several blood capsules, and one copy of Colonel Sassaker's daunting text of magical frivolity and practical japery. <laughs> and one copy of Harry Anderson's Wise Guy by Mike Caffney. I like how it's Harry Anderson's wise guy by some other dude. <laughs> well, it does have the absurdest sense of humor going for it. It does. And that does appear to be all the things, although I didn't mention, did it mention this picture that's in like taped to the back of the no, chest? I don't think so. It must be some sort of pun. Okay. All right. Some of this stuff may come in handy at some point. For now, you decide to just take the smoke pellets. So, mm, okay. Cap catalog smoke pellets. Why start speeding through? Okay. You stow the smoke pellets on one of your Capcatchalog cards in your Silladex. You still aren't totally sure what that means, but you are starting to get the hang of the vernacular at least. You have two empty Capcatchalog cards remaining. 
It's like a game without a game. Yeah. I don't understand. <laughs> and you know, they have soundtracks for this you can buy. Really? Yeah. It must be far, lot, lot farther along than we are. Yeah, apparently. Okay. Equip fake arms. We might have to jump ahead to a, f- a future thing of this. Yeah. You aren't totally sure if equip is a verb cobesthetic with the abstract behavior or medium in which you dwell. Man, that's a mouthful. Wow. But you give it a try anyway. Unfortunately, you cannot access the fake arms. Their card is underneath the one you just used to catalog the smoke pellets. You will have to use the pellets first in order to access the arms. But this is probably unadvisable since you just make your room lousy with smoke. Your Celadex's fetch modus is currently dictated by the logic of a stacked data structure. You were never all that great with data structures, and you find the concept puzzling and mildly irritating. But with any hope, perhaps you will advance now. More practical fetch modi for your Celadex with a little more experience. Wow. Okay, I am really confused. <laughs> I think this is about I got about here last time, and now that I'm like, why is everyone liking this thing? Like, I I I don't under I don't understand. Maybe it gets good. Is it even possible to get any more hard-boiled... Wait, what? Oh, I'm examining a problem sleuth poster. I forgot to explain yeah, what the last hyperlink was. Is it even possible to get any more hard-boiled than that? You really doubt it. This poster was one of your wisest purchases. Oh, there's a link there. There's a link there. There's a nice spot on the wall next to it. You've been meaning to hang another poster there soon. Let's see what this... Let's see what this new hyperlink says. It's a new link that goes to... Oh, oh okay. You can buy it, apparently. There's a store of uh, MSP Adventure posters... Okay, so the store is not just from Miss Paid Adventure. It looks like it has a lot of other uh, web comics. This is his uh, things yeah. on it because there's Axe Cop and. But okay, so at this point, someone would want to go buy that poster, or was that something you added later? Well, because... it just said that it was one of our his wisest purchases. Hmm. So. Interesting. All right, let's let's go let's get go to the Wikipedia page and try to get some context for it because <laughs> we're really confused at this point. It's almost like Jim Carrey's webpage. <laughs> Except that one was at least visually interesting. Like, I have no idea why someone would do this, but you got the idea of what they were trolling. Yeah. Here, I have no idea what they're even going for. Yeah, we're, there's some sort of, like, welcome to our website. Here's what we're going. You know, if I if I knew what I was trying for. Yeah, it's like, why don't even get the joke? Because, like, if you go to Homestore, you just watch, like, Good Job and you're set. <laughs> Or, or remember, like, first time here, they'd have that cartoon that would basically... Uh, okay, so what, what's... Okay, according to the Wikipedia description, it's a webcomic written, illustrated, and animated by Andrew Hussey, and is the fourth... I'm sorry if I'm saying your name wrong, Andrew. And is the fourth overall webcomic published on MS Paint Adventures. The series centers on a group of teenagers who unwittingly bring about the beginning of the end of the world through the installation of a beta copy of an un- upcoming computer game. The comic uses a combination of static images, animated GIFs, instant message logs, animations, and games made with Adobe Flash. It has been noted for its considerable length, over 7,000 pages uh, as of uh, November 11, 2014, and complex plot. 710,000 words. Begins when 13-year-old John Egbert receives a beta copy of an upcoming computer game called Suburb in the mail. Installing running the game on his computer, it triggers a meteor attack on his real-life house. Okay, we haven't seen any of this yet. Maybe we have to start moving like super fast through this intro section. Okay. So apparently it's just a webcomic that you press links to? Uh, I guess. Apparently um, it's hilariously funny because everyone... Because um, so far this is acting like it's supposed to actually be... A computer game. A game that you're supposed to be playing. Okay, so he's acquiring some hammer and nails. Uh, he's taking the nails. He's yeah. playing with his capture log. His arms fell out. Um, okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's bizarre. 
He's combining the hammer and the nails. Now they're both in his pack. He's using the hammer. Now, it's like they're teaching you how to play a game. Yeah. Which I guess maybe is a meta joke. But. I, I guess I guess the, at this point, it does seem like the meta joke is that it's just a really confusing typing game. Yeah. But Homestar did this way better. He, he, he's looking at his uh, Con Air poster. Now he's looking. Okay. Examine the Con Air poster. Put the bunny back in the box. I said, oh, wow, the... The narration is now demanding him to do to put a bunny back in a box, and instead he's insists on examining his posters in the room. And look at the deep impact poster. Poster. Oh, there's a bed that's coming out of that uh, on that calendar. The narration isn't like insisting him do something. Examining anymore. the calendar. Okay, he's going to eat his cake now. You're sick to death of cake. You've been eating it all day, and you have no intention of clogging the syllabics with it either. The cake stays put for now. Okay. <laughs> so some it's sometimes like, the uh, he will do exactly what the text with the hyperlinks say, and sometimes he d- I mean, he does not Answers as if you were choosing a, a path, but you're not. So he's checking his email now. He has a weird picture of uh, slimy on his desktop. Okay, if anyone listening to this understands Homestuck, please explain it because hey, maybe, so far we're maybe we this should is skip not falling to another. We skip to another. You want to like, like jump way far? Yeah, why not? Okay, we'll jump to the first one that was this year. This goes back to January second of okay. twenty fifteen. Um, whoa! So the art style looks quite different. It's just a picture been, of him. Well, this started in two thousand nine, we think. So I mean, it's been going on for six years. Yeah, that's a lot of practice. There's a lot of stuff. So it's, uh, I mean, it's not necessarily high art. Well, but, yeah, but it's still I mean, MS Paint. But. Has, it's still MS Paint, but it has color, and it's just a guy staring at a squirrel now. There's no... And now the dragon's getting closer. Uh-huh. Next one. There's a button here that says Show Sprite Log. Oh, so there's dialogue in here now. Oh, nice. I'm trying to keep a low pro- profile here. Doesn't want the dragon sniffing him. Oh, and then now there's a thing that says murder. I think that's on the scroll he was looking at. Okay. Now he just... Turn invisible. What does it say? The dragon says bye. <laughs> huh. Terezi, draw outline. Okay, there's a murdered, there's like a cult thing going on after a murdered uh, guy. Oh, oh there's a choice. There's a choice. Should we click on the question marks yeah, or dust for prints? Let's go with question marks. Okay. Uh, there's a weird symbol and it says enter password. Oh, maybe it's a secret, like. Oh, maybe you have to like play through or know what you're doing. Know what you're doing. You don't, there's a password hint that says, if you don't know the password yet, it means you're not supposed to. Dummy, go back. Okay. Well, may, maybe at some point you come back after they solve the mystery and go in that way. Or? Maybe. That's really interesting. I mean, that could be cool. Generally, there's just one toy. toy I mean, which is fine if it was It's just a weird setup. I wonder if somewhere there's like a FAQ, like how to get into Homestuck. Well, I'm going to jump ahead into the Wikipedia article yeah. here to style and development. The basic premise of the comic is, has been described as inspired by games like The Sims and Earthbound. As a prior webcomic problem sleuth, the adventure is characterized by time travel, mystery, and a complex fictional universe and frequent references to pop culture and previous adventures. Changes from previous stories include an emphasis on contemporary society. Um, okay, I'm going to skip ahead here. The initial style webcomic was developed to be advanced by fan contributions, with fans deciding what actions the okay. characters would take. So okay. there was that some makes, level interactive early on. Okay. However, once the fan base had grown significantly by 2010, Ussie moved away from the style because the fan input method had grown too unwieldy and made it difficult to tell a coherent story. Okay, that makes that, sense. That makes sense. I've seen some tumblers do this sort of thing where, like, they'll do a like they'll start off as if it's a 
a choose your own type yeah. adventure sort of thing, and then they'll just draw whatever the audience suggests. Yeah, come next. Okay, that, that's what it felt like at the beginning, but but there was no context for it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay, it would be nice if they had like the choice that weren't picked or yeah. something. I don't know. Yeah, well, Hussy, the creator, now controls. I'm. I feel that that can't be the right way to say it. Hussy, <laughs> Hussy, who's who's. I don't know. Anyway, now controls the main plot of the story and the character's actions. He still quote visits fans, blogs, and forums end quote to figure out small things to add into it. Although the majority of Homestuck was posted serially with a few pages added at a time, he decided to add the final acts in one update. He named the time period he was taking to finish the story a gigapause. He explained that he had to have the ability to tell the remainder of the story in a nonlinear fashion by writing and illustrating the story and then revising the chronology. The gigapause began on October 16, 2013, and then giga unpause on October 16, 2014. And server crashes occurred as a multitude of fans visited the sites. Interesting. So he paused the thing for a whole year to develop it. And so that's that's probably one reason why people started talking about it a lot then. Yeah. It, you could catch up and, and explore and all that kind of stuff. Maybe that's why now you have the password and stuff because now he's planned it out more or whatever. Yeah, possibly. It's so weird. I don't know. I guess you'd have to get deeper in in order to really be like, oh, now I'm hooked on it. Because at least the beginning it was not like... Oh, yay, I want to read this thing. Yeah, yeah. It, I could see how starting off... I mean, when you're a small group and you're like, oh, yeah, what do you want me to write? And they say something silly. And yeah, and then you go do something silly. And then yeah. you've got that interactivity. Then, But it, it, it doesn't hold up quite as well in in post, I'm afraid. At not, least, not yet. Not, uh, yeah, not yet. Not for us outsiders. Um, All right. Well, anyway, so that's... Uh, I guess maybe if you if you read it more, tell, tell us why... Yeah. Why? What? Yeah. <laughs> what? What about this appeals to you? What's? Uh, what's? Uh, I mean, there's a lot in that Wikipedia article that. I mean, it sounds interesting. It sounds interesting. Yeah. Maybe we just didn't get deep. Maybe uh, just to skip a while to get in. Yeah, and I don't know if like if there's some sort of guide out there to like how to get into this thing, but you probably have to read the first who knows how many till. And that's the thing is there's like seven thousand pages. Webcomic archives can be really intimidating to get into if you want to yeah. try to start a new one. But all right, well, that was Homestuck. Yeah, that was a soundtrack and stuff attached to it. I mean, guess yeah. it's a big deal. Apparently, I wonder how you how do you it's very odd to me, you know, how do you get an audience starting like that and get so big that you can't do it anymore? I mean, what is it that's so <laughs> hilarious? I don't understand. I don't know, but I mean, webcomic world is still a pretty big place, and I haven't really, I don't really follow very many yeah. webcomics. I mean, I follow ones that I followed for quite a while, but I've never really gone webcomic hunting in a long time. Yeah. So I'm not really in that whole community to really say. All right. Okay. Here's your assignment, folks. Tell us about some unusual taste that you have that uh, you think that would be cool for us to either check out or like it's just misunderstood that, you know, you like it, but not very many other people do. But tell us why you like it. You know, you, you really love Italian zombie movies or something. <laughs> what was it? I think it was... um. The Middleman. You watched one or two episodes of that. A little bit, yeah. Um, Dub Dub in that show loved zombie movies and really bad ones. <laughs> um, I don't remember why, but it was interesting. Yeah, but cool. All right, well, let's let's bow out of here. Nick, um, where can they listen to our podcast? They can listen to it anywhere they want to by uh, subscribing to iTunes. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's how they can download it. Take it with you on the road. Exactly. On the road. In the shower, at work, washing dishes, uh, mowing the lawn, running, disarming the bombs, 
Well, that's probably a bad place to do it. <laughs> Stay focused, and if you're disarming bombs, we want we want you to survive. But you can you just skip to the soundtracks. Yeah, there It'll you give go. Give you some some motivation. There you go. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Uh, we're also on on YouTube. If you're not, uh, you know, you don't carry, don't download podcasts that, that often. Yep. You can just and, bring it up and there. Visit derailtrainsofthought.blogspot.com to leave us uh, comments on the home site. And don't forget to check out the weekly hijack. We got all all kinds of stuff out there for it's, you. They're fun. I mean, I'm in on my listen to them. I'm like, wow, that was fun. <laughs> so. That's always a good sign. Yeah. Okay, Nick, why don't you or, tell? Either that I'm just horribly narcissistic on the two. <laughs> All right. All right. So my soundtrack today, I thought you may or may not know, having listened to the podcast, that I enjoy music by Maze Dude. Do tell. Uh, do tell. <laughs> I've been keeping it a secret all these years. And Maze Dude is a very particular taste. I'm not sure everyone lo- can enjoy the Maze Dude, um, but I do. And I think the people... For, for who, me, it depends on the song. The people who like the Maze Dude really like the Maze Dude. I mean, you know, the, like I like anything he does. I'm like, this is crazy. I, it doesn't make any sense. Good job. Uh-huh. Um, so anyways, this one is a particular one called Cyborg Blobby, taken from the A Boy and His Blob game for the, I think, Nintendo. Is this the original one? The original. Okay. Yeah. I just, it has such a long name on the OC I know. It, it, the official title is David Crane's A Boy and His Blob, Trouble on Blob, Blobolonia. <laughs> um, and I think, I think it's the first one. It's the one I owned. Okay. Um, but anyways, he decided, basically, a little story here. He decided that the the main theme for this came up on I guess on live lists of um, most annoying music. <laughs> so he thought he tried to remix it, and he decided I guess as a tracker, which is a type of doing music, you can you can put sounds in, but you can also put in junk files like EXE files and text files, and it'll make a sound. Okay. <laughs> and so he decided to make the whole song using junk sound. Yeah, this is maze, dude. We're talking about like garbly, like goog. Like yeah, when you put your, when you put a DVD in a CD player, yeah, that sort of messed yeah, up sound. Yeah, it's 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 using files that weren't meant for sounds and using them to make a sound. <laughs> um, and so he made the whole thing that way, and it's and it's it's quite good if you it, have the taste. If for you it. have the taste for that. <laughs> um, so anyway, I thought this was appropriate. So cyborg blobby, I will hope you enjoy. Unlike my dinner in front of me. I'm like, what? My dinner right here. They just oh, yeah. Me. No. No, we're, we're never coming to this restaurant again. Well, hopefully. <laughs> Depends on the podcast. Yeah. We'll see. All right. Until next time, folks. All right. This is Nick. And this is Tim. Adios. Bye.